Welcome to the Living Word Podcast. To find out what we're up to, check us out online at dlwc.network. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, hey, have you ever smashed your thumb with a hammer? Have you ever done that? I really hate when that happens. Like it's a cold day and you're out in the garage and you're just kind of wailing away working on something and you miss whatever it is that you're hitting by like a millimeter and you just catch that innocent little finger, unassuming, and it just sends shockwaves through your whole body, right? Or try this one on. Maybe you've gotten up in the middle of the night to get a glass of water to go to the restroom and you catch your pinky toe just right on the corner of that perfectly positioned piece of furniture that's designed to just bring you so much agony. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A couple of weeks ago, my family and I were over at Pastor Joel and Kelsey's house and we were just hanging out and our three boys were together and they were playing in their basement. They've got this really cool setup down there. It's pretty much like every kid's dream come true. And so they were down there playing and all of a sudden I heard my son Hardy yell at me and he said, hey dad, come down here. So I'm like, cool. So I go downstairs and I'm looking at what they're doing and they're down there just building Legos. I mean, they're creating all kinds of stuff, having a great time. And so after I celebrate Hardy's amazing new creation and his epic plastic brick engineering skills, I turn and make my way to go back upstairs. And I've been up and down these steps dozens of times, but for some reason this time, I forgot that you have to duck to miss an overhang after the first step. And so as I stepped on the first step and lifted my body to catch the second, my head smashed so hard on the roof above me. I literally, it was like Tweety Birds. Like you remember the Looney Tunes when they're dazed? I feel like I blacked out for a second. I went down to my knees on the actual steps. And my first reaction was like rubbing your head. You know how you do when you, when you hurt something? Like if you smash your thumb with a hammer, you think let's apply more pain and pressure to the thing that's already hurt. And somehow that makes it feel better, right? So like I'm rubbing my head, the spot that just got knocked, And then my second reaction, which was the more interesting one, was just anger. Like, I was just mad. You guys get that way when you smash your thumb with a hammer or whatever, you're like, ugh, it just makes you mad. And I've never, I don't don't know about you guys, but that's how I deal with pain. I deal with pain and anger. That's what I do. And I don't know if anybody else can relate, but let's put it this way. Have you ever tried to help a wounded dog? right, a dog that's hurting and you reach down to touch that tender area where he's hurting and they snap at you. They try to bite you. And it's not because they want to be angry with you, but it's because they're in pain and they're trying to protect themselves. See, people in pain react in a similar way. Have you ever taken the time to think about why that is, why we do that? My theory, this can't be scientifically proven, but my theory is that even with things of more consequence than a smashed thumb or a bumped head, like emotional and spiritual wounds, it's because we've decided that it's unfair for that thing to happen to us. Deep down, our inner dialogue is saying, I don't deserve this. This should not be happening to me. It makes us feel violated. And it makes us realize that we're vulnerable. And vulnerability for most people is very uncomfortable. See, pain is inevitable, and pain is unavoidable. And there's a lot of people in our city, there's a lot of people in our nation, and there's a lot of people around the world in pain right now. This morning, I want to talk about your pain. 
I want to acknowledge that it's real and that it's valid and that it's normal. But I also want to talk about God's intentions for the pain that you're experiencing. The title of my message today, in case you're taking notes, is not all pain is harmful. Not all pain is harmful. Across all of time and human experience, there are a couple of common denominators amongst all people. One of those is that we're going to die. We are certain to die. Death is undefeated except in one instance. We all know which one that is. But every other case, we lose in the end to death. It's just a part of our natural existence. The second thing that is true is that we will all experience pain. Now, to what degree and how often we experience this pain, physically, emotionally, spiritually, will largely be determined by decisions we make or by the decisions of people around us. But nonetheless, it's an inescapable reality that our time on here on planet Earth is going to be filled with pain. I realize today, and I don't take this lightly, that I'm talking to people who have gone through intense, breathtaking pain. Abuse, neglect, racism, loss of family, loss of dreams, loss of innocence. These are all real things that people in this very room and online are going through right now. And I want to show you what God can do with your pain through the life of a man named Gideon. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Gideon... We come upon him in the Old Testament book of Judges. And if you've got your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, however you access the Word of God, if you want to flip to Judges chapter 6, verse 6, that's where we'll jump off today and talk about Gideon. While you're finding that, let me catch you up on the scriptural timeline really quick. At this point in history, Gideon's an Israelite, and the people of Israel are in a tough place. They've gone through some pretty major peaks and valleys as a nation. And at the beginning of the book of Judges, they've turned their backs on God completely. They ignore and denounce the same God who rescued them from Egypt by way of Moses. In fact, we find them worshiping pagan idols instead of the one true living God. Most notably, they're constantly being subjected to pillaging and destruction by these villains called the Midianites. See, every year at harvest time, after the Israelites had put in all of this work and all of this effort to prepare a massive harvest, the Midianites would swoop in And they would take everything, leaving nothing but destruction and ashes in their wake. This had been happening at this point for seven straight years. So how many know if you're living through seven years of that consistently, that's going to cause a little bit of pain and distress, right? In fact, it was so bad that scripture tells us the Israelites began to settle into mountain caves as a means of hiding from these invaders. They couldn't even build homes for themselves in which they could peacefully exist. So here we pick up at Judges chapter 6, verse 6, and it reads, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And then we hop down just a little further to verse 11, and it says, One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite. Side note, who's on the list to name their next kid Joash the Abizrite, right? All these Old Testament names, I think they're funny. Anyway, whose son, Gideon, 
was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. So here we find Gideon, a common man who is hiding from his enemies in a winepress preparing food, not a place where you would typically find someone preparing food. And while he's there, God shows up. And the first words he speaks to him are, the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. In another translation, God calls him a mighty man of valor. So there's a couple things I want us to notice here. First, let's get a picture of this scene in your mind. This is a man resigned to the reality of his moment. He's terrified of the enemy, terrified of the attacks that he's been conditioned to believe that he can do nothing about. A man who at his core is in serious pain and distress, has been for years. We can safely presume all of this based on how he responds to God. See, after God first calls him a mighty man of valor, look at verse 13, where Gideon responds, with me, my master, if God is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are the miracle wonders that our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He's turned us over to Midian. Anyone else ever had this experience in response to somebody coming along and trying to encourage you and lift you up through pain or a hard time? Because of your frustration, the only thing you can muster is an angry and cynical response. I've had this experience quite a bit. And pain can have that effect on us. See, when we've experienced the pain that comes from hope lost, from disappointment, from unmet expectations, we too can sound a lot like Gideon did. Even when someone shows up to encourage us, as God showed up to encourage Gideon, we can dismiss it because we're blinded by our situation. It consumes us. But watch this. Even though Gideon was hurting and angry, when God shows up, he doesn't acknowledge Gideon's current condition. He speaks to his identity. He does not acknowledge the condition he's in. He speaks to who he is. He calls him a mighty man of valor. In that moment, God does not see Gideon as he is. He sees him as he could be. See, your identity is not defined by your pain. Your situation is not who you are. You are not the mistake that you've made. You are not the abuse that you've endured. You are not worthless. Once God shows up and affirms Gideon's identity, he then tells him in verse 14, go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Yet again, Gideon's response to this is in line with how he's begun to think of himself. Look at verse 15 at his response. Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan is the weakest and I'm the least in my father's house. See, if we allow it to, pain will change who we think we are and what we think we're capable of. Sometimes so much so that when God himself shows up to encourage us and tell us differently, we'll actually argue with him about it. Who, me? 
No, no, you got the wrong guy, right? I'm nobody. I'm nothing. I can't do this thing that you've told me to do. I don't believe in myself enough to do this. See, Gideon's response to God shows the effect of pain and despair. I wonder how many people under the sound of my voice right now are currently going through the same routine with God that Gideon was going through. You've been told by God himself that you are mighty warriors, capable of unimaginable greatness, yet you can't hear him because your own voice is too loud arguing with him about all the reasons you're not. But like we see him do with Gideon shortly, God wants to shift your perspective on the pain that you're in today. Because see, God sees us as we could be, not as we are. He sees us as we could be, not as we currently are. Friends, we need to get a vision of how God thinks of us and not how the enemy has convinced us to think about ourselves. This last year has been an incredibly difficult year for so many people. And maybe the year 2020 puts you in a place very similar to where we first found Gideon. Scared, hopeless, waiting for the next wave of tragedy to strike. Maybe insecurity has risen up and you feel your identity has been stolen because it was wrapped up in the job that you've lost. And as a result, you're angry. Your fuse is shorter than normal. You lash out and lose your temper more often. Maybe because of isolation, some of you have fallen headlong into addiction and dependencies on things like pornography, social media, drugs, alcohol, things that this time last year were not even in the picture for you. And due to all of this, you find yourself hiding in the wine press, believing the enemy's lies about you, that you have no worse, that you're beaten, that this is your new reality. So you should just accept it. If that's you today, my friends, God has sent me with a word to encourage you today. I believe that if you have eyes to see and the ears to hear, that God can shift your perspective on your pain today. Consider again where we find Gideon. You have he and the Israelites beaten down, hiding in caves, unaware of God's plan for the nation, lacking the will to even fight back, and weakened from years of pillaging by outsiders. I'm not sure about any of you, but I can relate. I know exactly how Gideon was feeling. In the year 2015, over the course of eight or nine months, my family went through a gauntlet that even to this day I have a hard time believing was real. We experienced job loss. And not just jobs, what we thought were going to be careers of ours stripped out from under us. Disease afflicted the family, we had shocking and unexpected deaths. We had mental illness that arose in the aftermath of all this. You name it, and my family probably went through it that year. It was like walking blindfolded through a field of emotional landmines. You just didn't know which step was going to set off the next tragic event. And it seemed as though it would never end. We would actually get nervous when our phones would ring for fear of what might be on the other end of that call. We just didn't know. 2015 left a mark. It was a painful year. And then 2020 showed up. 
And I don't have to explain to anybody in this room why the last year was tough. It was difficult for everyone in different ways. Collectively, whether we realized it or not, we all went through some sort of trauma in the past year. And in fact, if I can be very open and honest with everybody today, last year I fought a battle of my own with depression. I wasn't myself and I could not shake it for a long time. What happens when we're beaten down over and over in life is the resulting pain from these beatings can change who we think we are and make us believe things about ourselves that are not true. Scientifically, it's shown that intense distress changes the neurological pathways in your mind, physically altering your brain and how it processes information. Another word for that is brain damage. That's why I and so many of you can relate to Gideon when he described himself and said, who and with what could I ever do what you've asked me to do? I'm the weakest. I'm the least. The other thing about pain is that we're very good at convincing ourselves that those deep wounds are ours to keep. We're like a man with a broken arm who has zero medical experience sitting on the sidewalk outside of a hospital trying to set the bone and cast it himself. When if we would just turn around and walk inside that hospital and let a professional trained to heal us do that work, we'd have a much better chance at actually healing. And I don't know a whole lot about medical science, admittedly, or the practice of medicine in general, but I do know that there's a code among physicians called the Hippocratic Oath. And amongst other things, in part, it says this, do no harm. See, a surgeon's intent is never to harm, only to heal. But sometimes they must cause necessary pain to facilitate your healing. Otherwise, you may never be whole. If you've got that broken arm and you don't set the bone back where it's supposed to be, your arm will never be the same and it will never heal correctly. And don't think for a second that setting that bone doesn't hurt. It does. I had surgery on my back one time to remove a precancerous melanoma or a mole. <clears throat> and recovering from that surgery was painful, but it was not harmful. It was a healing pain. It was a pain that granted me decades worth more life. What if we began to think of God this way? What if we began to think of God as a compassionate surgeon? who allows pain not to harm us, but to heal us. You wouldn't blame the doctor for the pain you feel post-surgery after he had just performed a procedure to remove cancer from your body. Because we know that his intent is to do no harm. Why then would we accuse the one who created us and tells us that we are his beloved of malicious intent? Friends, God is not the source of your pain. The thing that happened to you is the source of your pain. And we've confused him with things that neither represent or speak for him. God is speaking to some of you today and asking you to shift your perspective, to consider this picture that I've just described to you of the surgeon. From all the grief 
that I endured during those years of pain and suffering came some of the greatest and deepest spiritual surgery in my life. And that revealed the greatest awareness of God's participation in my life. He has not caused my pain, but he has used it to show me his goodness. He wants you to trust him with your pain. He wants to revive hope in your soul. He wants to give meaning to your suffering today. But God can't do anything about what we choose to keep. If we have it, he doesn't have it. If we have it, he doesn't have it. In the midst of all this pain I was going through, I had to make a choice. Knowing what I do about God, I began to just release this pain to him. And even though I didn't feel like I could give it up, that somehow, strangely, it felt more natural and comfortable to hold on to it myself, I just made a choice. I just started saying, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. I can't carry this anymore. I can't do it. It's too much for me. And it wasn't because I felt like doing that. I didn't. It's because I chose to do it. And in so many situations in our lives, we would do well to remember that choices lead and feelings follow. Choices lead and feelings follow. Sometimes we just have to make a choice to do something, even if we don't feel like it. And then you'll notice the feelings will follow along. And that's a word for somebody's marriage here today. Somebody needs to make the choice to forgive and to move along. And when you do that, the feelings will follow, friend. I can promise you that. The more I chose to let go and gave it to God, I began to have this thought, what if I don't have to be a victim? What if I don't have to continue to let what is happening around me determine who I am or how I think? What if I could choose what this pain will mean to me? And that's when I had a bit of a light bulb moment. See, it occurred to me that pain is either waste or fertilizer, but it's my choice which one it's going to be. <clears throat> the pain you're experiencing can either have no meaning at all or it can help something new grow in your life. But you have to choose. See, God chose Gideon broken as he was to defeat the Midianites and free his people from oppression because broken people are fertile ground for the miraculous. If, for example, a billionaire on any given day makes another million in the stock market, nobody's going to pay attention to that. It's just adding more to what he's already got. But if a broken, homeless man, strung out on drugs, living in the streets, figures out a way to get his life together, and then he goes on and makes that million, they will make movies about that guy. Millions of people will be affected by that story. Broken people are fertile ground for the miraculous. And the good news for you and I today is that we are all broken. We are all broken. Gideon's pain didn't intimidate the God who created him. When he responded, who, me, why, who am I? It shows that like you and I, we will try to disqualify ourselves from God's plan permanently based on a temporary situation. We'll try our best. But friends, hear me well. 
If you take nothing away from anything else that I say today, hear me well. Your pain does not disqualify you. It anoints you. Your pain does not cut you off at the knees. It empowers you. This broken man, Gideon, was chosen to liberate an entire nation in the very middle of his brokenness. And his brokenness provided the opportunity for God to step in and anoint him for greatness. And look at what we go on to see Gideon do. He stood up to an entire pagan culture. He tore down their shrine to a false god. He led an army into battle with an enemy that outnumbered the Israelites 450 to 1. For every one Israelite, there were 450 enemies. And he won without ever having to lift a sword. Despite his pain and identity crisis, how was he able to go on and do these unbelievable things? What happened? What changed? At a certain point, Gideon chose to believe that what God was telling him was true. He made a choice. He chose chose to trust him. He chose to obey him. And then he left the results to him. The only thing that this mighty warrior masquerading as a common coward had to offer God was his yes. That's it. Pastor Bill Johnson says it this way, there's no such thing as an act of obedience that is powerless. That homeless guy that you pass every Tuesday while you're in the drive-thru line at Chick-fil-A, feed him next time. No such thing as an act of obedience is powerless. That might seem small to you, that might change that man's life. See, maybe to get you out of the wine press and into the battle, God is just waiting for your faith to rise enough for you to take that small step of obedience to allow him to do what only he is capable of doing. Watch how this happens for Gideon. When we go to chapter 7, where Gideon called together all the Israelites who were willing to go into this battle with him, he assembled an army of only 32,000 men, still less than 25% of the enemy forces they were facing. And what happens next is through a process of sifting or a series of tests, God tells Gideon to send away all but 300. He went from 32,000 to 300. In other words, God asked him to go from odds that were terrible to odds that were impossible. And can you imagine what might have been going through Gideon's head at that moment? My God. We were unbelievably outnumbered before. Now it's impossible. We are for sure going to get whipped. No way we win this. And like the sifting of Gideon's army, hear me, sometimes we will undergo a sifting in our own lives that we won't fully understand and will feel a lot like surgery. And remember, surgery can be painful. But friends, not all pain is harmful. Not all pain is harmful. In the climax of this story, watch this. We read that Gideon and this tiny company of 300 men in the middle of the night surround the enemy army. And what God told them to do was to stand around that army, raise torches in the air, blow trumpets, smash jars, and scream. That's it. That's what God told them to do. And I'm quite sure that they were very confused at these instructions. But 
It was their obedience to something that they didn't fully understand that created the path to God's participation. The story goes on to say that the enemy soldiers were so disoriented that most of them either killed each other or ran away in fear and then got chased down and killed. The 300 didn't even have to fight. None of that would have happened. None of that would have been possible if Gideon didn't trust God through the pain, if he didn't embrace that sifting, that surgery that was happening in his life. Let me ask you a question. What would happen in your life if you looked in the mirror and finally admitted to yourself that you're prideful? Why don't you let God sift pride from your life? What if healing comes to your heart when you start apologizing more after you lash out in anger? Why don't you let him sift anger? What if revival starts when you begin to serve your spouse more? Let God sift unselfishness from your life. How would your life change right now if you chose to forgive that person you've been bitter towards for a decade? Let God sift bitterness and unforgiveness from your life. Listen, cutting these things out of your life will be painful. Remember, we're more comfortable holding on to them because that's what we're used to. But it could be the surgery or the sifting that you need to find the place where you are dependent on God and nothing else. This is exactly what happened to Gideon. You might ask, why did God only do it with 300? He could have done it any way he wanted. Why did he choose just 300? So that no man could take credit for what he did. God might be allowing you to go through a season of sifting. So when your miracle happens, not if, when your miracle happens, it can only be God who is responsible. So what do we do? How do we begin to turn the waste into fertilizer? How can we shift our perspective to see that not all the pain that we're in is harmful to us? I think the first thing we do is we make a choice. We choose to give God our pain. And you will not feel like doing this. Remember, it's our instinct to hold on to it. We're comfortable with it. It feels right. But if you have it, he doesn't have it. So practically, it may start with just saying out loud over and over, God, I'm giving this to you. And at first you won't feel any different. I'm warning you now, you will not feel different. But after time, I promise you, you will. You just have to commit to doing it. Remember, choices lead, feelings follow. In fact, if you do nothing else with this message today, I dare you to try this. Starting today, whether you feel like it or not, just say, God, I give it to you. Every time that painful experience resurfaces in your brain. Just do it for the next seven days between now and next Sunday. See the difference it makes. The second thing we do is we confess to someone else that we're in pain. We have to confess. The book of James tells us that our salvation comes from God, but our healing comes from each other. Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. If you really thought about it, the most important moments in your life are tied to a relationship. When there was a real shift in your life, good or bad, I promise you it was tied to a person. 
There's no better time than today to find a tribe and to get into a group of people with whom you can share your life, with whom you can take the mask off and begin to heal. And let me say this very loud and clear to those of you who are thinking, well, that is definitely not in the cards for me. I, I am not doing that. Admitting that you have issues does not mean that you lack faith. Let me say it again for the people in the back. Admitting that you have issues does not mean that you lack faith. Faith does not deny a problem's existence. Faith denies a problem a place of influence. Every issue in your life, and we all have them, every issue comes from an unhealed wound. And if you haven't located that source of that unhealed wound, you will never find it alone. You need the help of others. There are people around you today who want to help you remove your problems and pain from a place of influence in your life. People who want to help you seek God's purpose for your pain. Get into a life group today. Get into a freedom group today. And let healing begin today. And the third and last thing I think we need to do is we trust. We trust Jesus with our pain. Jesus wasn't half man and half God. He was 100% man and 100% God. So that means he experienced 100% of everything we've ever experienced and knew 100% of God's plan to help us get through it. Hebrews 4:15 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Pastor Craig Rochelle says it this way, the only way to trust someone is to trust them. You can't half trust someone. You either give them everything or nothing at all. And that's good news because the message of the gospel is not try, it's trust. You can't try your way in. All you have to do is trust Jesus. See, God created us to, be, to trust. We are created for that. My dad used to tell me, you won't find an atheist in a foxhole. Why is that? It's our instinct to trust God. It's built into us. But because of the pain that we've gone through, our view of him has become distorted. We need to get back to a place where we can see his true nature, his true heart for us, his beloved. Scripture calls us his beloved. Trust is at the heart of what Jesus asked us to do with him. It's not about trying, it's not about effort. It's about trusting him with our pain, trusting him with our lives. See, when we trust Jesus through all the trouble and the pain and the suffering, he promises us peace that passes all understanding. And he takes what we see as broken and he uses it for unimaginable greatness. So the question for you today is what will you choose? Will you choose to trust Jesus? Will you allow him to show you that not all pain is harmful? That it can be and it will be used for your good if you'll just let him show you how? 
If you feel like Gideon hiding in that white press, wine press, God sees you as you could be, not as you are. And if you'll trust him, if you'll trust Jesus, he can bring purpose to your pain today. He can show you that not all of your pain is harmful. You just gotta trust him. If everybody in the room could bow your heads for just a moment, this is not gonna take long. But the probability is that in a group this size, both in person and online, there are people that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you are one that wants the peace that he offers, to be brought into his family, to have all of your mistakes and sins forgiven, and for the pain you've experienced, to begin to have meaning. In a moment, I'm gonna count and I just want you to lift your hand quickly. Just identify yourself and say, hey, that's me. I need healing today. I need Jesus to make sense out of what I'm going through. If you're online with us, just click the raise hand button. When I count down here in just a minute, just let us know, hey, that's me. I need Jesus today. I need help. We can't do this on our own friends. We have to have help. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you today through this message. I don't have to sell you on anything right now. If you're feeling something inside you prompting you to take a step, now is the time. So on the count of three, just slip your hand up. I wanna pray with you. One, God loves you. Two, he sees you. Three, raise your hand right now. Amen, thank you for that hand. 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 Come on, somebody better start celebrating. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Online, click the button right now. You're going from death to life right now when we say this prayer. Everybody in the room together, just repeat after me. Jesus, today I give you my pain. I give you my heart. I don't want to do this alone anymore. I need your help. I need you to show me that not all this pain is harmful that you are redeeming it and that you have a plan for my life. Take my life now. I trust you with it and I put it fully in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at LWC Dayton and on Facebook at Living Word Dayton.